Hello, Winding Paths listeners. Today I'm talking to the wonderful Keith Lee. I think we're in for a fun conversation, Keith. Keith is the principal at Sidebar Ventures. He is the founder of Associates Mind, which is a blog that you'll tell us more about, I hope, and Lawyer Smack, a community for lawyers. He's a lawyer, author, entrepreneur, has done marketing for lots of legal tech companies, and is now doing something new that he will tell us about shortly. Keith, welcome to Winding Paths. Joseph, good to be here. Thank you for having me. So what is the new thing that you are currently doing? Is that Sidebar Ventures? That's that's Sidebar Ventures, which is uh, a company I'm doing with uh, Josh Holt, who runs Big Law Investor. Um, we uh, decided to sort of merge forces and, and tackle a number of uh, problems that we have perceived uh, that lawyers have uh, over the years. Um, you know, we come from different aspects of areas of law, different size firms, different perspectives on things, but we're very aligned in terms of um, how we think about solving problems and the problems we want to solve. So, all right, um, you know, open is. the kimono for us. What what are these problems that you imply? I, I don't believe that law firms have problems. Come convince me, please. Uh, yeah. Well, this is really more for individual lawyers. You know, jo they Josh certainly not, do not have problems. They uh, certainly don't have problems. Uh, you know, J Josh, and if you if you know anything about Big Law Investor, it's really about. Uh, I mean, it's really the only. It's, it's so funny. If you pick a lot of other professions, like if you picked doctors or dentists or even architects or something, there is a robust community of personal finance blogs, websites, social media influencers. There's all types of stuff like that. There is literally one for lawyers. And it's oh, Josh's site, it, Keith, right? You do not know how much you're killing me right now. <laughs> I got to explain why you're killing me. This is like you're twisting a knife inside. You're like, like a well, room I mean, with a hook. <laughs> big, big law investor has been around for six years and is, you know, the, I, as far as I'm aware, and I'm aware of a lot of the stuff that lawyers do online, it is the preeminent and only personal finance site for what for lawyers. All right. We're rewinding the clock right now. The year is okay. 2017. I am a first year associate, first month associate at Davis Polk. And I am, you know, into personal finance, let's say. Sure. I take a domain name and say... I am going to launch a personal finance blog. I write my first article, you know, going through student loans and variable rates and fixed rates and refinancing and not refinancing and student loan forgiveness and the federal government. And that's all before they, you know, all this new stupidity uh, that they threw in there. I get it done and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to be a good boy and ask the firm permission. Ouch. Ouch. Big mistake. Rookie no, error. Always ask for forgiveness, right? Yeah, they're not going to let you do that. Ooh, so of course they're like, uh, uh, well, can we see a sample post? And I was like, yeah, I'll send you a sample post. So I send them my student loan, you know, compare comparison post. Boom, like management explodes. I get like emails from three directions. You can't do this. Some of those banks are clients of the firm, you know, you got to yep. shut this down right now. Pull it down. So there's only one big law investor, uh, personal finance blog for lawyers. Yep. Ouch. Yeah, it, it, that's it. There, there's the one. Um, so, uh, you know, and it's just funny that, that that's the case because 
lawyers have personal finance problems. They have money problems just like everybody else. But somehow there is not, if you, if you go into, and it's so funny because if you go into doctor field, there's a very robust conversation and culture around being smart about your money. Like doctors very actively seek that out. There's, you know, financial advisors that are explicitly, you know, only work with doctors. There are doctor focused banks, like there are banks that only do banking for doctors, all types of financial products. And then really all types of financial literacy, again, communities, other doctors talking about, Hey, how can we do all this? That where is that for lawyers? That doesn't exist. I mean, it really doesn't other than what Josh has done for the past five, six years. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's probably the, the big problem that we, we are intending to tackle is this is a conversation, all lawyers, big law, mid public defender, prosecutor, in-house, like personal, you know, the average APA's statistics from last year that are 2021 was the average law school student upon graduation had on average $165,000 in student loan debt, right? So if, if our app, we as good stewards of, you know, more senior, we're not gray hair lawyers yet, but as our people who are 10 to 15 years into our lawyer journey, if we cannot abandon these people who are coming in now, there has got to be something to be done for these people that are coming in with immense, immense amount of debt, like an immense amount of debt. And did you, did you get a big law job? Okay. Well, even then, you know, golden handcuffs, are you actually budgeting, doing everything right? But you know, God forbid you, you, you graduate with $200,000 in student loan debt. And then you go and you take, uh, you know, a starting ADA job in Rhode Island where the starting salary is $53,000 a year. Okay. You've got $200,000 yet and your salary is $53,000. How the hell, what, what do you do there? Yeah. You bad know, investment. Yeah. It's a bad investment. Suddenly you're just like, well, why did you, you took $200,000 in debt to get a $50,000 a year job, which if you work up the government ranks and become a whatever, maybe you, you max out at like you become the DA for whatever the, you know, the capital of Rhode Island is, and you're making $150,000 a year, one seventy five. I mean, that's, and that's, you're, you've been in your career for 20 years. Like yeah. there, there, we need to do stuff to better educate law students on what they're coming into better educate, uh, you know, brand new lawyers about how to be smart with their money. Yeah. Do they need to refi? Do they need to, you know, you, you know, should you go to that? law school? Should you trade down, you know, and, and yeah, get scholarship? do something else. Yeah. I mean, there's all, what there's are all the implications of this decision? And you know, if yeah. you've made it already, how do you manage it? How do you get right. in front of it? Uh, it is kind of crazy that law school tuition is pretty much the same across the board, regardless of the uh, you know, quality of the law school or how elite it is and what returns you can expect. Uh, and that, in my understanding, is because the federal government has basically undermined the market incentives to price in 
those yep. factors by providing unlimited cash. Yep. I 100% agree with that. I mean, that, and that's the scenario. And then acting as though, yeah, the pricing is the same that, and then acting as, yeah, the quality of the education is the same. You know, the, the fact that there's a one size all fits all model for law schools is insane, right? There, there should be the T14-ish type schools that produce people who go into big law. But then outside of those schools, and maybe there are a, 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 some more that feed people into, you know, mid-tier boutique practices or whatever. But like most law schools, majority of law schools should be trade schools, right? They should be trade schools. You, yeah, and you business, go, trade and business. Trade and business, business side of your trade. Yeah, it, it needs to be, here's, here's, how, here's how to learn legal reasoning. Here's how to deconstruct an argument. Here's how to write. Hey, we're going to suddenly go look way more into actually, you know, what are the common practice areas of law for most, you know, your average lawyer, which I think it's, it varies, but, you know, roughly like 63% of lawyers in private practice in the United States are solo practitioners. Okay. Well, then the majority of, of those people, what do those people do? Well, they do consumer facing law, right? They do criminal defense. They do domestic law. They do trust in estates. Uh, they might do basic business formation stuff, real you know, estate, real estate. I mean, there's only so many things that if you're going to be one of those 63%, don't be wrong. They certainly get somebody who's suddenly, uh, they, they live in DC and they're in, into energy regulatory stuff and they do some type of, I mean, you are going to get the one-off. So let's, maybe they're a patent lawyer and they just, I'm out, I go run my own patent practice. I've got 10 good clients. And I'm just doing that. Sure. Okay. Those exist. We're, we're talking about, you know, broad brush here. 63% of lawyers in private practice in the United States are solo practitioners. Yeah, so 80% so, 80 of those people are in those five practice areas. Why? I mean, talk about a misalignment of how this all works. There should be trade level business law schools that when you go there, you understand you're going to go in pop out and you're going to do one of these areas. And instead of costing $200,000 to go there, it caught over three years, it cost you, you know, $75,000, something yeah. much more in line with your actually out the outcome, which is, you know, your income, right? S same thing. I mean, do, do, do PDs and prosecutors need to go to, you know, Stanford, you know, if, if, Hey, I want to go be a prosecutor. Why are you spending $200,000 going to Stanford, you know, to be, if you, if what you're going to do is end up being a prosecutor in rural, rural Nevada, right? Oh, I want to go be a federal prosecutor in DC. Okay. Uh, no, I, I will. I want to be local and, and do this, that, and whatever. Oh, well then don't go to Stanford, go to this school, which, you know, the, hey, here are these five law schools dedicated to churning out prosecutors and public defenders. And that's yeah. all they do, you know? Yeah, uh, I think this particular fight, uh, as warranted as it is, is one I'm going to leave for you or someone else. But tell us how Sidebar Ventures connects to this uh, overall uh, uh, issue. Well, the whole, the legal education aspect, that I mean, that is a long-term cultural, you know, like we've just got to fight that fight over years, you know? For us, what, what we're, you know, beginning a journey onto is really the personal finance side of things. Really, it's just an extension of what Josh has been doing for years now. 
but we're looking at other ways we can enhance that, connect with more lawyers, provide them with more options in terms of getting smart about their money, having a community of lawyers who, who want to talk about that stuff, you know, who are like, yeah, let's talk about money. Let's talk about how I can save money. Here's how I can, you know, invest what I'm doing and be smart about that stuff. So, um, so the early product- days, we do all different types of stuff. So, I mean, like right now, you know, we provide a lot of, uh, educational information about various financial products and services. And then certainly then we have, you know, partners who provide some of those financial products and services. And, you know, will we make some money off of some type of referral situation? Yes. So, you know, that's that, but we're, we're, we're very careful to be very neutral. You know, we're never like, this is the thing. It's like, here's five, you know? Um, like student loan refinancing, I think is a really good one. Like if you go to biglawinvestor.com right now and you look at student loan refinancing, you know, there's like 10 options. So it's not like we're saying, oh, use this one. It's like, no, 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 no. We're trying to provide you an educational resource. And then hopefully by you getting smart through our actions, you then take some action, which, you know, then you know, generates us some revenue, generates the third party some revenue, but it all feels very clean and aligned because you've gotten something, which is you've gotten education, information, gotten smarter on something. We've done our job by educating you. And then you're going on to purchase or use something. And as a result of that, you know, we, we are making a, a, some type of fee in there. So Josh has that on his website already. This is, is this meant to be something separate, uh, meant to be a community you build and then give education to, or is this part of that? It's, it's all, but Sidebar Ventures is the parent. Josh and I have a lot of things and Sidebar Ventures is just the, the parent company for all of it. So, so the allies essentially they, a partner of sorts with Josh around the big yes. law investor. Big Law Investor, yeah. Associates Mind, Lawyer Smack, Last Week in Law, all that is part of this other thing that is Sidebar Ventures. Okay, so we have the Big Law Investor website, all the relationships, affiliate relationships that come out of that. There's no membership community. That's not part of... No. But there is, you have a membership community called Lawyer cool. Smack. Lawyer Smack. Tell us about that. And we'll, we'll start. You're the kind of guy, the messy kind of guy I like. You got lots of things going on. So... Let's get some of the dots on the table and then try to suss out some underlying principles and insights that you've learned from the process of building these things. A lot of which I think we'll talk to content marketing and marketing in general, but let's talk Lawyer Smack. What is Lawyer Smack? And how'd you come up with the name Lawyer Smack? That sounds like, you know, it sounds violent. Sure. So uh, five, six years ago now, uh, I'd kind of gotten to a point where I was missing a lot of the social interaction that I used to get through comment sections and other legal blogs. So early on, you know, I started a blog called Associates Mind in 2010, and that was sort of the tail end and like the early 2000s and teens, that was like the heyday of like legal blogs were a huge thing. Lawyers were blogging all the time. People were establishing reputations, expertise. And then there was uh, social media had not really taken off to the extent that it has now. And so a lot of the social interaction was actually in the comment sections of all these legal blogs. You know, some lawyer would write a legal blog, a post, 
someone will respond in a post and they're in the comment sections of each other's blogs and people are talking. It was this really interesting dynamic. And uh, social media really kind of sucked the air out of the room for all that stuff. You know, suddenly everybody was like, oh, I can just chat on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else. And, um, but as what, one thing I missed and one thing I, I felt as though that was missing in all of this is that once you become a professional, you spend most of your time with those other professionals, right? If you're a doctor, you know, you, you joined the, my brother-in-law is a surgeon is he's like a fellow fellowship of some type of surgeon society. And he sees other doctors and does this, that, and other, and they're like, that's who he spends time with a lot. Lawyers tend to spend time with other lawyers. That's why bar associations exist. You, you federate. And particularly if you're a lawyer, um, you don't talk shop in front of non-lawyers, right? I'm not going to start talking about client stuff, legal work in front of non-lawyers, but if I'm at a bar association event where I know everybody's a lawyer, okay, I can open the kimono a little bit, have conversations. Let's talk about this. Well, if that's the case, you're never going to talk shop on Facebook, right? Or you're never going to talk shop on Twitter in public as a lawyer. So I looked around for different types of community stuff that I thought would work. And I saw there was this new thing called Slack. Slack was not what it is today. Six years ago, Slack was, you know, struggling little thing. It was kind of coming out of nowhere. Thought it was really cool and fun. So I just came up with the name of Lawyer Slack. I was like, oh, I'll just buy Lawyer Slack. So I bought LawyerSlack.com. And then I set up this thing saying, hey, I want to start a community for, for lawyers. Join. You got to send me, you know, some type of, and it's, I got to know you're actually a lawyer. You got to send me some type of proof of your JD. Take a picture of your license, whatever, you know, link to me, this, that, or the other. So I did that. And that's what it was. So, you know, six years ago, it was originally a Slack group. So it was called Lawyer Slack. Over the years, I changed the L to an M for IP reasons, obviously. Um, although the, the Slack people like follow me on social media and stuff. So they, and I've talked about this very publicly. So it's not like they didn't know it existed, but I think at the time they were just happy. Hey, here's some lawyer talking about Slack a lot and encouraging people to use it. You know, they, they were into it. They didn't care. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it grew up to about a thousand members and then I shut it off and turned it down and cut it off. And then I rebooted it, except that became a paid community. So, um, before it was free and then I switched to a paid version. And so that was, how many people did you have in your, in the first Slack? Before the free version about a thousand people. And how did you get the first group of people? Uh, I just started talking about it. You know, I started talking about it on social media. Hey, I'm doing this thing. Now, again, I had somewhat of a platform due to my blog had been around for, you know, seven, eight years at that point. I'd written a book for the ABA. I had spoken at law schools. I've spoken at bar associations. So I, I had a pretty decent social media following um, that I just started talking about. I was doing this thing and people, you know, I think I was in the right time, right place, sort of a moment, you know, where hey, there's a private place to talk with other lawyers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it just sort of organically grew by itself uh, over the course of about a year from, you know, nothing to to a thousand. Were all those thousand people active? No, you know, I mean, you know, pr probably 20% of them had registered, came in, said one thing, and then never looked at it again, right? So 
what do you have a ratio of the approximate number of active users that you actually need to give a community a sense of cohesion uh, and a you know sense of purposefulness to the remainder of the people there? I think it's probably. I, I think probably as a floor, you, you you probably need to have around at least I would think a hundred active people. That that seems right to me. If there's a hundred people in some type of group, and not a hundred, you know, not a hundred people, and then you know, fifty percent are very active. No, I mean, say your your group is. 300 people, but you have an active core of a hundred. I mean, it, it's really that hundred. You need a hundred active participating exchanges going on to really, I think, hit that sustainable level at which if it's your community, you don't feel like you're having to feed it and nurture it and do stuff for it to go like, oh, if I left for a week and I came back, these hundred people are all here talking to each other. I'm almost out of the loop at that point. You know, and so when you shut it down, you did so because you wanted to charge for having a community. And so you created a new one. I assume that the first thing you did was tell the other people you're creating a new one and got your initial core of members that way. Yep. So of the, you know, initial thousand people that were there and it was, it wasn't like I'm starting over. It was, Hey, this, the, what this is going to become is. This is a paid community. So if if you haven't paid by X date, you're getting the boot. So if you want to stay, stay, but you got to pay money. And that was the that was the initial setup was, hey, we got all these people here. And you know what happened was what to be expected. A bunch of people were like, nah, I'm never paying for anything. Everything on the internet should be free. Good luck, man. Go for it. You know, bye. I mean, I, I was not sweating that uh, at all. Um, and you know, the, it's one of those things having skin in the game totally changes things for people, right? So, oh, here's this free community I can join. Oh, I have to prove I'm a lawyer, but other than that, I can kind of be anonymous. It doesn't cost anything, maybe, whatever. I can come in and be a jerk. It doesn't work. Versus, hey, you've got to join this. You've got to give me all this information. You've got to pay some money. And the thing, it's not a lot of money. <laughs> you know, it's like actually a very small dollar amount. But what that does is it creates enough of a barrier that the only people that end up joining are the people who actually want to communicate and actually want to contribute and actually want to be a part of something. You know, you, you get rid of all the tire kickers by charging. Interesting. So let's talk content marketing. Uh, uh, you were a marketer in legal tech. I assume you practiced as a lawyer first. Then yeah. you went and spent a lot of time as a marketer doing uh, legal tech. Are lawyers good marketers or good at selling? Um, no. Uh, you know, lawyers have incredibly overinflated egos uh, about lots of things. You know, lawyers, classic, not just lawyers, but anybody who gets a deep level of subject matter expertise in one uh, domain, and they just assume, oh, because I have this deep level of expertise in this one domain, that must mean that level of expertise transfers to other domains, which is not the case, right? We all know that's not the case. Like, uh, you know, again, so use my brother-in-law example. He, he is a, he's a breast surgeon. He's a reconstructive. He does uh, mastectomies, right? You know, amazing. Like, 
deep surgical whatever all right yeah, you know I mean, mastectomies are, are technically uh, uh superficial but okay yeah yeah yes <laughs> but 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 a, a, a technical skill set to have as a surgeon right that is very deep like you or i cannot go do breast surgery That's right now deep specialization yes excuse it is a my, very deep specialization excuse my pedantic uh uh semantics go ahead. no it's fine but then that you know could he then go do something relatively simple like fix the engine in his car, which is not simple, but simpler than breast surgery. It doesn't transfer. And what I think the business world and everyone else really seems to know really well is that there's a reason in companies, there is a sales department and a marketing department, right? You know, the people who are uh, holding software, I'm trying to think of something that's close to me, like my iPhone. Okay. The people who are designing the software for an iPhone are not then marketing and selling the iPhone, right? And the, or the, the engineers who design the actual physical dynamics and aspects of the phone are not then selling and marketing you know, the phone, they have different divisions for that. If you go into a law firm, particularly anything that is like mid-size, any, anything, any law firm that's got 20 or less people, which again, is the vast, vast, vast majority of lawyers in the United States. Big law is its own thing. They've figured this out, right? They, they get it. But the vast majority of lawyers, yes well, no. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm shorting the conversation because that's a whole other can of worms. But you're, you know, uh, you're familiar with, you know, the, like the, the classic, uh, professional services pyramid of, you know, there's finders, minders, and grinders, right? Someone. So when you're an associate, you're a grinder, all your job is to grind out hours and grind work. Then when you're a senior associate or a junior partner, you're a minder. Your job is to actually mind the grinders, mind the grinders right? Do this. And then at the very top of the, the professional services pyramid are the finders. These are the people who go and find work. And so that sort of, uh, model manifests itself in almost every single professional service firm, lawyers, architects, die, whatever. It's, it's a very, I mean, it's the most common professional services framework, CPAs. If you're a solo, say, let's again, take it back to that. If you're a solo, well, then that means you are the finder, you are the minder, and you are the grinder. You wear all three hats at any given point in time. And does law school actually provide you with a skill set or knowledge or resources to come right out of law school and be a finder? And the answer is no. Yeah, or even ten years at a law firm, right? Even if ten years legal work, uh, unless it's been yeah, fed to you, right? If 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 all you've done is you've joined as an associate, and you're the grinder, how do you? I mean, that's the you know, if ten people, and let's go to the big law. If take ten associates who come in as a first year, and obviously the classes are much larger than that, but maybe two of them will become minders, and of those two, one potentially become a finder, yeah, right? That's so you do great legal work. You know, you're on top of selling yourself to your colleagues, at least that's, that's good for the firm. 
Yep. But there's this basket of skill sets that you don't have. Yeah. You, yeah. You don't. Ha yeah. If people don't have. If you if you can't find work, right? And again, that's it is. It's the marketing and selling point. How do you communicate value to other people, right? How are you providing value in some way that when people receive it? They, they recognize your expertise and providing that value and want to get more of it from you. And again, that starts as an associate, like, all right, how do I sell myself in the firm? Right. That's the big thing. All right. I'm good at this type of work. Okay. You know, you, you begin working your staff on a number of different projects, litigation, transaction, whatever. And you start to find that you have an affinity for something. Well, how can you, you know, dive deep on that? And then also get good at sharing the fact that, hey, I'm good at this. I'm an expert on this. I can go around and, and talk about it, sell it to other partners. How can you display expertise, right? That's, which is the classical thing that lawyers have had to do for, for years before they, they relaxed the, the advertising rules, right? Used to not be able to advertise. Now there's lawyer billboards in every city everywhere. But like, that's a recent thing. Like lawyers couldn't put up billboards until like the 70s. Right. You know, advertising regulations, legal advertising was really strict. I mean, and it's still why they've, there's disclaimers on them and this, that, and the other, but the, the classical thing, which most big law firms still ascribe to is displaying expertise. Well, how do you display expertise? Well, you get some type of subject matter expertise on the topic, and then you talk about it and you write about it and you go to conferences about it and you do all these things. So it, it's one getting good at something. But the second part of, you know, how does any business make money? You get good at doing a thing and then you tell people you're good at doing that thing. Like that, you know, that, that's it. That That's any business in a nutshell is it's got to be good at doing something. And then you have to be able to let people know that they're good at doing this thing, right? You've got to be able to project it out there in the world in some way. And that's what lawyers aren't, aren't good at. They're good at becoming good at something, but they're not good at selling it, at marketing it putting it out there. So building a brand, uh, selling yourself without, well, marketing, putting your message out there, getting some recognition, some sense of trust and visibility is a major challenge, I think, for, you know, anyone building a business. Sure. And at some point, as you mature as a lawyer, you're either staying as a grinder of sorts in a firm that's just feeding you work, or you're figuring out how to cross that bridge and right. become some sort of marketer, grower, finder, uh, and so forth. Now, you can do that kind of haphazardly where some things work and it's working okay, or you can really be intentional about it and start building the skill set and getting really sharp at it. Do you agree with that way of framing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people become, you know, probably aren't super intentional about it. You know, they, they stumble in, oh, I, you know, was here and did this and, oh, I met somebody somewhere and X happened versus saying, okay, yeah, I, my goal is to become a finder in the firm. All right. Well, what does that mean? That means I needed to, you know, to uh, oh. have X amount. I need to have this book of business. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, for that book of business, how does that average up? That means I need to have how many clients? you know, to divide that out. All right. What is my area of practice of law? Okay. How does that map? Where are the conferences? Where are those people? Are those people, you know, 
uh, are they, are they country club people or are they, you know, boxing gym people, <laughs> right? Or that I'm trying to pick major extremes where people could be, but you know, there's a way to sell where you're doing B2B big law stuff where, you know, where are you going to get those clients? Where are you going to get those clients again at the country club, you know, some type of hot, high touch, you know, it's, it's not an advertising thing versus come again, other side of the spectrum, you're a PI, you're a car wreck attorney. Do you need to go hang out at country clubs a lot and, and, and rub shoulders with rich people? No, you need to spend a million dollars a month on billboards, right? They're both marketing their practice. The PI lawyer is marketing his practice on billboards. Somebody who has million dollar a year clients also markets his practice. He just doesn't do it on the billboards. He does it through business development and networking. And so again, there's, how do you become intentional about that? Where do I need to go? What do I need to say? How do I need to look? Who do I need to know? You know, I mean, that, that's where that comes. That, that's still marketing. You know, they like to say, oh, it's not marketing. I'm, I don't have a billboard. Yes, you you're still marketing yourself. You're hundred percent marketing yourself. So say Keith Lee was like a senior associate at a, a middle mid tier firm doing corporate transactions with clients of uh, in significant size. And Keith, uh, this, this Keith that uh, we're talking about decides that he really wants to build his own brand and start earning name recognition and be able to market himself well. What, what are the tools that he might think about as possible tools to deploy in the 21st century content marketing area for marketing writ large? Sure. Well, I mean, number one is making sure you have some type of firm uh, or not, you have some solid firm sponsor slash mentor. Right. Like that's if, I, if I've made it to the senior associate rates at a mid tier firm, it's highly unlikely I've gotten there without having someone taken an interest in my career. Right. There, it more than likely some partner has been like that person has potential. I'm going to invest some of my time with them. So, you know, that number one is to go all in on that. Can can they. What is their book of business? What is, the, what is their client base? Can you go along with them? You know, they're going to guard that really close, but if they're trusting you, they, they, you should be able to sort of uh, draft behind them and sort of piggyback where like, oh, you're doing, you do M&A for, you know, mid-size utility companies. I don't know. All right. So, and then that, that partner goes to some big utility conference. Oh, can I come with you? So then you go and look, he's doing his, but you're there. You can say suddenly you're with them. You kind of get the halo effect, right? The halo effect in marketing where one thing is really strong and they sell ancillary services. Well, you're there sort of the, as the halo effect of him. Let him try and get and maintain those big clients, but are there secondary utility clients? No. Recognize where you are in the food chain, you know? Oh, as a senior associate working on M&A at a mid-tier firm, I don't need to go try and close deals from Coca-Cola, right? I need to find my equivalent, what I think I can provide value at. So, and it's just really getting smart about, you know, where, and then once I've, and the reason why the sponsor and the mentorship is so important 
take us back to your conversation earlier where you're going to need some type of protection or, or support with the type of marketing activities you're then going to want to go do, right? So does the firm provide you some type of marketing budget? You know, they, they should do that. If once you become a senior associate, they should recognize, hopefully, Hey, we think this person has some potential. All right. So what do I do with that? And then what is going to be okay? Is it a blog? Is it social media? Content marketing can be incredible nowadays, right? You know, is it being on LinkedIn? You know, all right, I'm going to talk about utility M&A on LinkedIn on the regular. Because I think a lot of the, the buyers are on LinkedIn. I don't think they're on TikTok, you know, whatever. It's, it's an awareness. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I, just throwing that out there. I don't, I don't do the, the, the executive team members of mid-sized utility companies spend lots of time on TikTok. Doesn't seem like that would be the case, but you know, don't want to make assumptions. Devil's in the devil's in the data, actually. Um, you know, you would have to do your research. Hopefully if you're, if you know about that area of law, you should have some idea of, again, it's just, if you gotta be, I, I guess the other thing is that for all this, you have to have a curious mind. That's the biggest one. If you are a grinder and you're just very satisfied with you know, doing this, like to find is to say, I want to look up and be curious about the world, right? I want to look for things. Yeah, I grind this work for these utility companies. I should learn more about the utility industry. What does that mean? You know, what is, what are the, what are the trade publications for utility industries, right? Where? Where are their trade shows? You know, what are, are there consultants? How, do that, how does that work? How do they get smart about business, right? You know, where are, how does all that happen? Are there communities? Are there, is there a community of utility uh, executives somewhere that you could suddenly be aware of? Like, I know there's a number of um, high, they're very quiet and private, but there's a number of high level, like GC communities for like fortune 500 companies where the only way you can be a member is if you're the GC of a fortune 500 company. Okay. Well, that's amazing. Like you should know that if you want to try and sell to those, how can I somehow get attached to they're doing something in a city? They're having a dinner. Oh shit. How can I be there? Like, yeah. You, how would you go? How would you? I, I don't know. I'm just saying, I know these things exist and you should try it if that's who you want to Again, as a senior associate, no, but if you're, if you're a managing partner at the, you, you know, somewhere, oh, how can we do co good content marketing to surface to those people? You know, how can I go? And, and again, at, at that level, content marketing is important, but so many of those type deals where, you know, your billable hourly rate is $750 an hour all right. And you know, these transactions take months. I mean, you're, when you're generating, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, million dollar bills to clients, you're probably not going to earn that business off of straight content marketing. It's going to get your foot in the door. It's going to get you aware of people, but then to actually close that business, that business is closed more than likely in person. I mean, I think probably nine out of 10 times. So. Let's talk about uh, smaller channels for sure. 
content uh, for content creation in today's world. So I, you know, I'm working on this new newsletter. Um, there are a lot of ways. I think lawyers are, are frequently good writers, yeah. and there are a lot of ways in today's world that you can, whether build an audience through writing or creating content, or uh, monetize content. What are what's your favorite uh, that you've seen to date in terms of what's your favorite tool for building an audience through content? Um, I mean, email still is, is king because, you know, it, it, everything else, I mean, it, you know, email is a, is a protocol, not a platform, right? That's really the big thing is everyone wants platforms now. If you're a business, you want to build a platform. Nobody wants to build a protocol because no one owns a protocol, right? <laughs> So no one owns email. There's a reason we all use email. It's a fundamental protocol of the internet that is interoperable with every other system. It's the roads. It's the roads. It's the roads. It's not a private road. You know, it's, it's not a toll ro road. Um, it's just the road that we can all be on. And that's email, right? So, you know, because I mean, I think you look at over the past few years with social media, somebody does something whatever then boom they're kicked off of twitter boom you're kicked off of tiktok boom you're kicked off of facebook own your audience right yeah you can't own your audience it's not to say that you can't build audience and those other things but the drive has got to be at some point in time to have a one-to-one -one connection with these people and the best way i think to have that or, or the the most frictionless means of doing that is to be able to email, have these people's email address and have them give you permission to email them. Right. So that that's, that's it. It's like, Hey, give me, I have provided something of value, but it's behind this door and this door says, give me your email address and I will not abuse that. Okay. And so how would you build uh, an email audience or what are the different tools and tricks of the trade that you might deploy to grow? Um, and it's, it's not, I mean, it's, everything is just time tested principles at this point. I mean, people have got this figured out really, really well. It's some type of, you know, pillar strategy, you know, resource strategy, something, you know, coming up with some type of piece of information, content resource that is, is just so unquestionably compelling that people are like, yeah, I gotta see this, whatever it is, you know, I, I need this. And even that's probably not good enough. It's probably some type of repeated exposure, like little bits of value, little bits of value, it's Gary Vaynerchuk, jab, 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 hook situation, right? Like that's how you sell it's, you know, boxing, jab, 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 hook, right? You set up the hook. You don't just suddenly throw hooks. You set it up with the jab in the same way, you know, Oh, I'm going to do little types of social media. You know, I show up on the regular. I'm aware. I establish a level of trust. I'm providing value, sharing things that you think is inf informational. And it's like, oh, that person has gotten on my radar. And then they're like, boom, I produced this massive amount of value now. And it's this incredible thing. And you, you know, I'm good for it because I've been jabbing you for a while. But to get it, you got to give me your email address. Now that's the, that's the thing. Like, I'll, you can have it. And you know, I'm good for it, but you got to give me something in return. And that's your email address. And so, you know, that strategy works is that works. 
that that is unquestionably works. Literally every company that does content marketing on the internet, which is all companies, do that to some level. Like that that's the name of the game. And so it's how well can you execute on that? And what what's tough, the 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 pro and the con of the internet is that, you know, you're you're marketing or you're selling or whatever this to literally everyone, like the planet. So, you know, try and come up with something that helps lawyers is too generic, right? There's 1.3, you know, it's all the lawyers on the planet or no, it's the lawyers in the United States. Okay, there's 1.3 million lawyers in the United States. That's not good enough either. Well, private practice. Okay, well, that's, you know, 924,000 lawyers. All right, no, 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 not that either. Uh, criminal defense lawyers, great. Okay, you know, like boom, boom, boom. Who, like what the internet allows for is hyper targeting, right? Like no one's going to provide your email address, their email address to you, unless you're providing some type of hyper targeted problem solving information that they have. So that means you need to really know your audience and making sure you're addressing a problem they have. So can you do this without social media today? If you don't like social media and find it toxic or is social media the easiest way to get it rolling? So there's tough two, question. That's a tough question. There's two tops of the funnel at this point. Uh, you know, funnel meaning you, you know, some type of system of business in which you're taking raw input and at the end you make money, um, which is how the internet works. Uh, so how do you feed that top of the funnel? So the, the, the most top level generates some type of awareness because, you know, that's the, again, awareness is the number one step. If people aren't aware of you, they can't buy from you. Like that, you've got to get attention. Attention is the very top of the funnel. So the question is really, how do I get attention? And so there's two ways to feed into that now from the internet. One is social media, right? People get that. Oh, I join social media platforms. I share content, content. I interact with other people. I do promotional stuff. I, I do the things I need to do on social media to drive attention and awareness of my brand, which will then hopefully some of that converts down the funnel to, oh, now they follow the blog or they go to the website. Well, then some smaller sub that, you know, consume content, some smaller subset actually become email. I'll give you my email address. And then over time, hopefully that becomes something else. So social media is, is the sexy thing that everyone pays attention to and that whatever. But the other big one is still just SEO, right? It's just, can you get, it's content creation, but then actually the search engine optimization of that content. Like, do, and again, it's the long, dirty work of, can you begin to learn tools like KW Finder and Ahrefs and all these things that are like these tools you can use to understand search intent and search queries and understand the things people are searching for, right? Like, oh, people are searching for these things. Like, say you, you, you think you have some amazing business idea uh, and it's like selling flaming bowling pins, yeah. flaming bowling ball pins to sell to jugglers. All right. Well, you go flaming bowling pin jugglers enter into one of these tools uh the search volume for that every month is zero so it's a horrible business idea right so again 
is there search, you know, how do you get out of this, where there social media or understanding what people are searching for, creating content for that, making sure it's optimized for that. And then you're catching people. It's why, again, it's why Amazon has become the second, third largest, uh, at, you know, advertising platform, you know, it's Google and then Amazon and Facebook are like flipping and it's because the, the intent is so high. If I search for, uh, you know, sunglasses on Google, I'm probably looking to buy some sunglasses. If I search for so sunglasses on Amazon, I am definitely looking to buy sunglasses on Amazon. If I search sunglasses on Facebook, the hell does that even mean? Might be looking for who knows what. So suddenly the intent, intent, to purchase is less the intent to purchase is, is so high. So if you can understand what, what people are searching for and then appear, then you'll win. But that's, that's very difficult. That takes a lot of yeah, work. And it's a long game. And it's a long game. Put the content the, that, that's a, that's say the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The next best time is today. Now, you know, so yeah. It, uh, it, Keith, where can people find, learn more about you? Uh, I mean, associatesmind.com. I'm at associatesmind on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Keith Lee. Those are all probably easy ways to find me. Um, and I'm around. You're around in Birmingham, right? I'm around. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Keith. Hey, Winding Fast listeners, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Scroll down, give me a five-star review, share this with a friend, uh, send Keith an email saying thank you so much for joining the podcast. It was an awesome chat. Subscribe to his newsletter. I'll share that in the notes to the show. And you can reach me at joseph at getsomeclass.com. In the meantime, may you walk your own winding path well.